0: Hello and welcome to the F-Word. The F-Word, of course, stands for front-end, a marvelous, a magical, mysterious cosmos of browsers, web standards and everything in between. I'm Bruce Lawson, and I am speaking to you from sunny Birmingham in the blue skyed United Kingdom. Um, buddy,
1: I'm Vadim Makiev coming to you from St. Petersburg, Russia. It's summer, and it's plus twenty-three here as well. And I'm I'm shocked, <laughs> plus twenty-three Kelvin. Oh no, it's <laughs> it's not winter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm stuck in this tiny studio, and. Uh, yeah, I'm going to run out of air soon, so
0: we we better go to some news. Indeed, listeners, I can see Vadim on Zoom, and he's basically in a place that makes the Kremlin look tiny.
1: Not really. Home studio. Anyway, we have some news, and we decided to discuss it together, and we'll have some, some guests next time, but this time you'll have to stick with just two of us. What's the news, Vadis? So there was a big... Uh, Apple conference called WWDC where they usually present some software and this time they presented their operating systems for Mac and iPad and iPhone and Apple watch and all kind of devices they have but uh, among that I, I heard something about Safari mm-hmm. so they, they're promising to release a Safari 15 this fall and uh, it's going to be a pretty big release in terms of uh, user interface and uh, web capabilities as well. So currently they have uh, Safari 15 beta uh, for developers. I think they're going to release a public beta uh, of iOS and macOS 15 uh, somewhere in July. And uh, so in a couple of months, they'll, they're going to release it. So I encourage you to test it because it's... Yeah, it's a pretty popular browser. So what's uh, what about a user interface? They introduced something new for users, and I have a couple of friends who are big fans of Safari, both as users and developers. That's a rare thing these days. So they happy about uh, user interface because they introduced this seamless translucent top bar with the support of top grouping and vertical tabs, and um, the whole panel is now filled with a uh, website back so it's uh, it looks quite modern and funny thing that Firefox released their new updated UI just a week before Apple released their own and I'm not comparing uh, but they look <laughs> they look somewhat similar those floating tabs not connected to the page itself look quite similar but I guess they haven't influenced each other in any way no no not at all uh, so how they managed to fill those tabs and the whole interface of a browser with some some background. Color of a page. So if you don't have anything special on your web page, they they try to guess background color of your page. But not just background color of a body element, but something that goes on top of your page. It might be header or some uh, anything you have at the top. They'll they'll try to pick this color and uh, fill the whole browser UI with uh, with this color. So be careful and uh, definitely test your website. It might look ugly <laughs> because of that. Imagine if you have some. Uh, blue color as the main theme and you have some green line at the very top. The whole site might become green, but if you you'd like to take control over this UI background fill, uh, you can use standard theme color meta element with content attribute and some color value. And also they they added support for media attribute at the, on this element, so you could choose you could switch uh, your theme color based on a preferred uh, color scheme, dark or light. If a user would switch their a theme color theme from light to dark or vice versa, you'll have uh, your color switched as well. So make sure you, you'll you have it to have full control over this color fill for Safari
0: users. Quick question. Is it only testing the, um, the dark mode media element, a media query, or can it test anything? So can you change it for different device widths, for example, or prefers high contrast?
1: I believe they support the attribute media and you can use any media feature in there okay cool so i guess so i guess you can change color based on your device width or rotation or pixel density even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i haven't tested myself but i would be surprised to see if they support it on just a single media feature for that apart from html meta, meta tag you can use uh, web manifest actually uh, so this uh, file used for pwas which aren't officially supported by Apple, but from from time to time, they they, they look inside of this file and they, they take information, but not officially. Mm-hmm. No, no specs, no explanations. So uh, if you have theme underscore color key in your web manifest, they, they look for it and they they will try to pick color from there. Because light and dark themes variations are not supported in web manifest yet, there is a discussion about that. You can specify colors for dark and light modes. So if you need this flexibility, uh, use uh, HTML
0: element. I didn't realise that, that, the web manifest didn't uh, allow you to choose between dark and light theme, but, but yeah, because... the the web manifest spec was written before those things were were standardized and existed. What else is in the uh, Safari 15 beta? PWAs? No, no, no.
1: What (laughs) is PWA anyway? They actually added a very big thing. They they were using this common spec available both uh, in Chrome and Firefox as the basis for their extensions model. But this time they introduced extensions for uh, their mobile devices. So iOS and iPadOS, they both get web extensions and it was a cha- big challenge for them because uh, having extensions on mobile it's not a common thing even in Chrome and Firefox there were some attempts to to add it to browsers i'm not sure what's the current state because i'm ios user we don't have it <laughs> yet but I think they did all right with those challenges because you have less screen estate on your phones and uh, tablets. So it's not possible to have everything you can do uh, with the uh, web extensions on desktop. But they introduced this model and it will be shipped in a few months. So if you have your extensions, it's possible to convert it and publish. It. But there's a catch.
0: Really? Guess what? It has to be in the App Store and Apple take 30%? Yep. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to be able to
1: have your extensions installed in iOS, it has to be an application you built with Swift, mm-hmm. and the Xcode and published and moderated through all those processes and, uh, yeah, installed as an application. So basically they're saying that the extension is um, some sort of way for existing apps to Get their way into users' browsers, which is totally fine. Because if you need to, if you need some presence on iOS, you don't have a choice really. You need to have an app. It is possible to have your application installed as PWA, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's a viable solution. So if you have your business and you have some user base on iOS, you already have an iOS application. So you can have your extension. And it works for businesses, but it wouldn't work for... I have my own extensions I use for productivity and some developer needs. I can install it into Firefox or Chrome without any problem. But to be able to install it on mobile Safari... I'll need to get a developer access, Mm -hmm. 100 bucks a year. I'll need to install Xcode, build an application, and then go through the App Store moderation process. And then they might allow my extension to be there. And uh, they actually support the whole variety of APIs, the one that you would expect from extensions these days. You you can even um, allow your extension to hijack the new tab, so you'll be able to have your page opened as a new tab every time user hits new tap button. I was really surprised to see that Apple allows it. I guess it might be good for some companies giving away their iPads to their employees so they could work Mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. So it it makes sense. And uh, they even have uh, pop-ups on iPad. They they look like a real pop-up from the button you can have on your toolbar and on iOS they replace those pop-ups because the screen is much smaller. Uh, They replaced with sheets that overlay the whole thing, but it still looks uh, like something valuable.
0: I guess I'm not surprised because extensions on mobile was always a tricky thing because the the page real estate is so much smaller that a lot of things, like you say, pop-ups actually become iOS sheets. I can imagine it would be really, really easy for a bad actor to masquerade as a real ios thing and ask for a password or something like that but uh yeah i I haven't really thought it through in any great depth but i'm not surprised that they're policing it a lot more than you know chrome desktop extensions or something like that because a that's what apple do but also the potential to do something malicious is, is i imagine huge i mean i'm not an evil hacker You're Russian, you know, tell me about Evil Hacking. (laughs) They actually have a video uh, from
1: WWDC session on web extensions where they explain the very same thing because every extensions you install on a typical browser, like Chrome or Firefox, they immediately get access to everything. All your mouse tracking cookies, and uh, you have to really trust them. In Apple's case, Even if you go through moderation process, they don't trust you right away. So every time you're enabling your extension, the permission dialogue would pop up and you'll have to specifically choose whatever you're giving away to this extension. And this permission list would be attached to a particular website, not the whole browser experience. So they're being pretty strict about the privacy here, but it makes sense, to be honest.
0: I hate to admit it because, you know, I hate to say anything good about (laughs) Apple, but it does actually make sense, yeah. Speaking of sessions, video sessions they posted on
1: w- their website, this year they have around 10 or 12 videos related to web technologies and one of them is uh, Designing for Safari 15 by Jen Simmons. It's good to see her back mm-hmm. as a public person. <laughs> it's hard to be public uh, being at Apple. Apart from this video, they have a number of sessions on DevTools, new Safari extensions model. so I'm encouraging you to at least see those videos. They are pretty professionally made and uh, they're not as funny as Google IOs videos, Uh, but still, uh, as for changelog, the formal one, first of all, they released it the moment they introduced Safari on on WWDC and usually takes a week or a couple of weeks. Uh, for them to to release the changelog this time they published it immediately so some things are changing and uh, they introduced support for a ratio css property some new color models like lab lch hwb and some predefined color spaces and color functions so a lot of things related to colors because they have displays that they actually support those color models so they want developers to use the the whole variety of colors so they would look beautiful on their devices
0: that went straight over my head hwb colors is entirely new to me but then i'm a middle-aged man so i can vaguely tell the difference between green and red you know you held a gun to my head
1: i would i would encourage you to to go look what's the difference between our rgb and lch color models because rgb is something that uh, represents how a computer works so you have Three diodes, red, green, and blue, and this is the way you can, you can emit color using those little diodes. But if you're using LCH color model, it tries to mimic uh, the human perception. So it, when you're uh, mixing colors, for example, you'll get much more smoother transition between colors, for example the way human eye would see it so if you need to transform your colors not just represent those color models so much superior than than the ones you we used to have
0: i didn't even realize that rgb stood for red green blue i was thought it was (laughs) like really groovy background or something like that yeah yeah today you learned something til anything else exciting in the merry world of ios and safari 15
1: I think I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to tell you about top-level weights in JavaScript and because it excites many other people in many other podcasts. So I told you the story I'm excited about. That's good. So we can, we can move on and wait for the real browser to actually test everything we, we've just described. So somewhere in
0: July and final uh, release in September, I guess, or October even. Well, it's good to see they're actually kind of opening up and Jen Simmons is allowed to talk and Sam Stend, who we used to work with, he's working with the WebKit team at Apple and he's allowed to tweet. So, you know, maybe a bit of um glasnost is happening over in uh, the Democratic People's Republic of Apple.
1: I heard that you're playing around with React Native, Bruce, and you were swearing and uh, crying
0: with joy uh, on Twitter about it. What's going on there? Well, don't tell anybody, but I don't actually hate React Native. Wow. I know, I know. Uh, so, the company I'm working for has um, some React Native apps, and I'm lead accessibility QA. So, of necessity, I'm uh, checking the actual output on iOS and Android. And because they've got it set up in a fabulous way with something called Expo that I'd never heard of 10 days ago, but I am actually willing to go and sleep with every developer who's ever worked on expo because it's brilliant um it's really easy to test i mean it's not easy to test if you're not happy with voiceover and and uh talk back but it makes it considerably easier to test and of course so i'm testing locally so i've got the repo on my on my work machine and because i'm just an old coder from the code on a Fortran days, I can't resist looking at the code to see, to try and work out what it's doing. And yeah, I, I, I don't hate it. I, I feel kind of simultaneously a little bit liberated and yet terribly grubby for confiding with you, that I don't hate React Native, but you know, there we are. My name's Bruce, and I do React Native a bit.
1: So, what is React Native anyway? It's uh, web technologies uh, based on typical React stack like JSX and uh, some. Uh, react libraries as well react dom and everything and uh, those web technologies they get converted into native code that could be run on your apple device or android device or some other platforms they support
0: that's exactly it and i think that's why i don't hate it the reason i don't hate it is that it's not even pretending to be the web, like React does. Because React is just like loads of JavaScript squirted into the browser, which then has to make it into a DOM and show you a loading spinner. And just be annoying. But React Native isn't even trying to pretend that it's the web. Because it, it gets compiled into whatever technology actually runs on Android and iOS. So therefore it doesn't offend me as much because it's not depending on JavaScript, for example, because JavaScript is irrelevant to the target of the compilation.
1: No, actually there is a there is a JavaScript inside running somewhere in background and communicating everything. But it's 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 just 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 a process. It's just uh, they they don't use JavaScript to build interfaces. So it's not just WebKit, WebView plus JavaScript to running your React components. No, it's native code.
0: Exactly, and it's unclear to me at the moment because I'm quite new to it. It's unclear to me at the moment what in the stack is React native purely and what in the stack i'm using is my employer's component library but i'm actually working on checking the component library because the component library is going to be farmed out to everybody else so if you're giving these components to everybody else they have to be perfect out of the box but what i like about it is okay forget about html it's it, it's not in the equation it's nevertheless declarative the code is by any standards ugly i'm not just talking ugly i'm talking about you know like you've seen my face Vadim. i'm talking bruce lawson (laughs) level of ugliness but you can work out what it's doing it's passing props around which get translated into the accessibility resources are available on the native platform and they're not identical and through the magic of this thing called expo which is an open source thing it's just been really easy to use so basically expo i don't really know what it is but you hook it into your react native project you do yarn start, up it pops and then a qr code appears in your terminal And if you're on the same Wi-Fi network, you just photograph the QR code with the Expo Go app on iOS and Android, and the app runs on your device. And if you're not on the same Wi-Fi network, you can choose to go through a tunnel, and it'll just squirt it through Ngrok, and you literally just photograph the QR code, and you do a change in Visual Studio, you hit save... You wait a little while for all the the cogs to turn, maybe 10-15 seconds, and the changes on your device, it's absolutely magic. So uh, you have this
1: app inside of your application, so it's not the real application installed on your device.
0: It isn't the fully compiled version, it's the it's the JavaScript version, but it is nevertheless constructing the native components so that, you know, if you are giving it this or that prop, it is manifested as this or that prop on the native device. Quite what voodoo magic it works with, I, I can't begin to guess, but then you can actually open it up in voiceover or talkback and test it. And it's as it will be on the end device. It's really, really good. Interesting.
1: I didn't know it's, it is possible to stream your native code to your app via local network. Typical way of developing uh, such things is to have Xcode running and your emulator or iPhone connected to your device via some cable. And in this case, the actual application will be sent through the wire or to the emulator and uh, rebuilt every time you save your code. But there's no React Native there, it's just native Swift the APIs of Apple. But in the React Native case, yeah, you need to have your code converted to native code. I wonder if it's actual HTML and JavaScript rendering or it's native on your device's screen.
0: I'm pretty sure it's native because of what voiceover and talkback says to me. Uh, I would not put my hand on my heart and swear that to you in a court of law, but I'm pretty certain it's native. Uh, but I have no idea how it how it does it. It is just voodoo magic. But I'm very glad that the people who make it, make it less.
1: You're probably not a na- native developer, but you're native QA tester. Mm-hmm. How, how does it feel... Uh coming from a web background to to develop or test uh, applications like that. You just said that the developer experience is wonderful, but otherwise you don't have URLs, you don't have uh, typical web things
0: there. It's a different world in terms of UI. When I said the developer experience is wonderful and I believe you're misquoting me here, I meant compared with the normal native app experience, which is basically like having your testicles repeatedly beaten with a baseball bat by tim cook and uh, whatever the guy's head of google is it is less bad than having your testicles repeatedly beaten with a baseball bat which is not the equivalent of wonderful i would agree i mean native development is shit because at the end of the day the only proper test is installing something from an app store and somebody says to you it's this screen and you laboriously go through all of the steps to that screen and you have to actually listen to it in voiceover or talk back and if you're not a person who uses those things for real that's a chore and a laborious experience so yeah it's nowhere near as great as the web you know just like can you send me the url is a wonderful thing can you talk me through the 28 stage process to get to this particular screen is is grim and sad but nevertheless they give me money to do it and you know like every other person in the world i will do grim and sad for a third of every day, five days out of seven, until I eventually drop dead through an overdose of grim and sadness, just in order to have enough money to eat and buy a beer once or twice. And oh my God, you've made me critique capitalism. Thanks, Vadim. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For the first time. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, this expo thing's pretty cool. I put some tips on my website, just some random things that weren't clear to me in the docs well actually i lie like everybody else i didn't read the docs i just tried to muddle through and then realized that i should have read the docs but it's not terrible and i am going to try and make my very own native app i'm going to make the same app that i made with opera widgets back in the day which is the well, yeah yeah so i'm <laughs> gonna i'm gonna remake the love calculator which is where you type in your name and it adds up the digits and then adds up the digits of the person you like's name and subtracts them and if it's within plus or minus five it says you're compatible or not which is basically science you sound like you're five <laughs> I'm sorry. Mate, that's science. This is going to be the new Tinder. You're on 50%, buddy, if you can do the UI. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but y- you can do the UI, but you have to tolerate me doing double spaces in Markdown. Never, never. Live a little. <laughs>
1: Our good old friend Brian Cardo posted uh, Can I Has blog post at the beginning of May, I believe. So he announced the intent to implement for the has pseudo class, which is a rather shocking thing to, to hear because I think it's already ten years old, uh, this idea. And they used to have it in jQuery. They still have it in jQuery, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like uh, an easy thing to do and easy thing to implement. But it used to be a uh, holy grail of CSS selector, which is very tempting to have uh, and uh, very hard to implement. And uh, one company approached uh, Igali and, I guess, Brian personally, uh, which is IO. Mm-hmm. Never heard about it, but then Brian explained that they have Adblock browser and Adblock extensions. I realized that our old friend Shvetang from Opera DevRel days is working there. So I guess he's somehow related to this intent and uh, at the beginning of June we have it implemented in Chrome Canary. To be honest, I haven't played with it uh, personally and um, I think I'm going to record a video for my, for my blog in, in the next few days just trying it, trying it out. But after Brian published his, uh, his announcement like one month later we have it in Chrome Canary and there was a, a really nice blog post published a few days ago on smasher Magazine explaining why on earth you would need a hasp pseudo-class. Uh, you would think that everyone knows what it's for and how you would uh, use it. To be able to explain this hash selector it's really important to have really good use cases for that and to show some UIs and uh, some, some code. And that's what uh, Adrian Bees actually did. He tried to explain not how the actual selector works, but where it could be applied in your interfaces. And uh, only from his blog post I realized that we actually have something similar in our CSS already. For example, empty pseudo class actually checks if there's anything inside of this element. And if element is empty, certain styles are applied. The same goes to focus within it actually checks if there's anything focused inside of certain element and applies styles to the actual element so we used to have uh, selectors and we still will still have the majority of selectors working the way uh, that you have your target selector on the right so you're applying styles to the part of a selector that goes to the right Uh, Now we have selectors that could be calculated, vice versa. So you can have your selector on the left side and the colon has function, and then everything will be applied to the actual element with a a has pseudo class, not to the right part of your selector. A typical example, uh, you you can check if your link has IMG element inside and apply some styles not to IMG but to a element. So every link without image would get s- certain styles. I have a, g- a really good example that might help our listeners to understand the selector even better. Typical situation when you're trying to replace your checkbox with some fancy graphics. You'll have to hide your checkbox and replace with some graphics, and then you'll have to put some span next to your input. So you can you can use a plus selector to, to change the styling for your element. In this case you can wrap your input with some tag and change its styles based on if something inside of it like input element is checked or not. Much more flexible or you can you can change the way your form looks based on validity of any input.
0: That's it, you could have your entire form go red if one thing is
1: invalid, so it's like focus within, but f- much more power. Yeah, much more power. That's that, that's true. So I think because they implemented focus within, I'm not exactly sure, but I think that it helped them to implement the same thing for has element. And uh, the problem used to be that this thing is full of circular dependencies. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to calculate certain things to to be uh, 60 frames per second, but they managed to overcome this issue. It's still in Canary. I guess it's still behind the flag. It's not implemented in Firefox or or anywhere else, but all of a sudden it is possible. All of a sudden container queries are possible. All of a sudden has
0: pseudo class is possible. I wonder what's going on these days. I was thinking about this. After our talk with Miriam Suzanne last time, uh, I'm I'm thinking with my gut. And when you think with your gut, you have to acknowledge that sometimes you've got shit for brains. But I think what it is, is we have different people who can think around a problem. So when you only had browser engineers, for example working out whether something was possible they're fixing a certain mindset and i don't mean to disparage or or in any way denigrate their brains because obviously they've done fantastic things but when you have other people like brian and and miriam and and jen and rachel who are not thinking only about how would i write the c plus plus to this you just get a different perspective and maybe like like miriam said to us last time you know brian said to her so you want to get rid of the cascade by adding to the cascade and she said yeah i do and that basically opened up container queries and i i'm pretty convinced it's to do with the fact that we're getting not better minds at all just minds that think differently about the problem suddenly opening up different thought processes but I'm, I'm i might be completely wrong i don't know
1: i don't want to sound cheesy but they are there to dream they're there to experiment
0: they don't know limitations i think you might be right mlk so that about it concludes it for episode 12 folks but before we go i want to pay tribute to uh, a titan of the web who has left us, Alex Russell, known to many of you as Big Al. He hasn't died, he's at this moment in a car doing a road trip with his wife Frances, but Alex has left Google, which uh, surprised everybody, because Alex not only pioneered service workers, Chrome Frame. Web Components. Web Components. Alex was basically thinking great thoughts and 10 years later, the rest of the web caught up. But also, he's a thoroughly nice bloke who many, many times has taken the trouble to sit down with me personally, either in person or, or over the web and explain things to me without visibly touching or rolling his eyes or just, you know, <laughs> punching me. Um, and he's left Google. He's left the web in a much better place. So, thank you, Big Al.
1: Yeah, I had a chance to meet him in person uh California many years ago while working for Opera and then uh, discussing some web extensions and uh, PWS back in the days mm-hmm. when, when they just introduced the, the, the thing he seemed like a really nice guy and I was I was really enjoying his rants about performance the last couple of years trying to explain to front-end developers why browser diversity is important and why Apple is Hurt in the web by not allowing alternative uh, browser engines on iOS. I hope he'll he'll keep doing this in some other place in some other role. But I think we still need uh, a person like him.
0: We do, and uh, I've no idea what Big Al is doing next. But I can't believe he's stepping back from the web. So I look forward to his next incarnation. Just as an FYI, Vadim, your your English is brilliant, but you keep using the word "rand." and what you actually mean is measured discussion. I I, I just think (laughs) you're reading (laughs) the wrong dictionary here, mate. So, on this um, sad note of saying goodbye to Big Al, and uh, this um, appallingly rude correction of Vadim's English, we bid you farewell from The F Word, episode 12. Stay cool and groovy wherever you are. Goodbye. Toodles.